Second scripture reading and the text for today is found in the book of Colossians. We're beginning a, I'm beginning preaching through the book of Colossians and the reasons I'll explain, but we're beginning at uh, the beginning. In uh, chapter 1, verse 1, I see the title is on the top there in most Bibles, the, the Epistle of Paul, the Apostle to the Colossians. Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy our brother to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ we give thanks to God and to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew and knew the grace of God in truth as you also learn from Epaphras our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf who also declared to us your love in the spirit let's pray Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you that you are our God. And we thank you that you are our Father in heaven. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our dear Savior and our Redeemer. And we thank, we're thankful for the Holy Spirit who sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts. We pray that you would work and bless your word to us today. We pray that we would hear it for ourselves and believe it and trust, it, trust in you more and and be blessed as, as we read your word and, and hear, sit under the preaching. Father, help, help us, help me, help us, Father, and bless us. As your people, we thank you that you have a people and, and your people are blessed even by your, by your mercy and grace towards us, your grace and your peace. Father, we praise and thank you and we thank you for our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. So starting a new book and it's the book of Colossians that uh, was been over the years one of my favorites. I wouldn't say it's the favorite but one of my favorites and the main reason I'm going to let you know why, why that book of Colossians is been a favorite for me. One reason would be that there are a lot of verses that I've memorized and really special in the book of Colossians, but also mainly because it's so Christ-centered. And one of the overall overriding themes of Colossians is 
is Christ being in Christ and Christ being our all in all. And if you keep that in mind as you study, as you, you hear and you're under the preaching of the word or studying on your own, I hope you read it, would read it during the week. It, it's a good thing to do just in general, take a book of the Bible and read through it over and over again, but especially as I'm going to be preaching through it would be good. But Christ is the center, and, and Christ is all, I need, all we need in Christ alone. It's a great hymn that we sing, and it's the, the main theme how Paul is teaching, trying to teach and show the, the Colossians that uh, they don't need anything else but Christ. But it's also a, a very church-centered book. So the two things, Christ and the church, very special to me. I hope that would be your, in your case as well. But the church, the church of the, the Lord Jesus Christ is here highlighted as well. So to begin this book, it's always hard to begin, but we're going to begin. It's a letter written to uh, a church in Colossae, and it's in part of the world that we now know as Turkey. Then it was categorized as Asia Minor, and, uh, but modern-day Turkey now. And, and Paul wasn't more, like, more than likely wasn't actually there himself. He didn't plant this church like many of the churches he did. But he knew the church. He knew the, the key figures in the church, like Epaphras, as we, was mentioned in, in verse 7, as a dear fellow servant and a faithful minister of Christ, who possibly was Epaphras, who had planted this church and was there as a faithful pastor for that church. But others there were there as well. The Apostle Paul mentions, mentions those things, and we're to think of that when we uh, read this book. Though we're not going to get bogged down in all those details, it's good to know um, as you study the book what the background is. Apostle Paul, he says he identifies himself as an apostle, which is unique. And why does he do that? Well, one of the reasons is he's identifying himself as a unique apostle with authority. The apostle Paul was no ordinary man, and so his words, his word that he wrote is scripture. And that's where we're built on the foundation we read in Ephesians, the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone. As he brings these teachings and directs them to Christ and to away from false doctrines, he wants them to know that not that he's boasting, not that he's proud, but that he is an apostle. And so they're to listen. There's an authority there. Most of us don't care much for authority, right? It's, it's always got bad, bad connotations, people who are an authority or authoritarian. But in this case, it's something good. The Apostle Paul is writing the very word of God. His, his writings are the word of God, the scriptures, and, and that gives it authority. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. His authority comes from Christ. It's always through Christ that authority comes. And he says, by, he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Why is that phrase there? It's there in a, in a few other um, opening remarks or greetings in other books, but it's an important one, important little phrase that we might even just jump right over. The Apostle Paul, by the will of God, and, and then move on. Well, we shouldn't. It's there for a specific reason. And Paul is here pointing to how he became an apostle. Paul was unique in that sense. He wasn't one of the original apostles. He was called out of due time, he says. He says, um, in 1 Corinthians 
15, verse 8, says, Then last of all, he was seen by me also. One of the, the, the necessities for an apostle, they have to actually see Christ, the living Christ. And uh, just as a side note, there are no apostles today. No matter who claims to have seen Christ, heard words from Christ, speak for Christ, there are no apostles or prophets today. We have the completed word of God based on the, their, their, these men, and they're, they're unique, and there's no one who can claim to be apostle, even though people do call themselves apostles and they call themselves prophets. Ignore it. It's not from God, and that's why he's unique. He says, then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. In other words, it was his the uniqueness to his calling and a special specialness to his calling. For I am the least of the apostles. And right there you see the apostles' humility. And that's one of the keys to understanding the apostle Paul is just seeing how humble he was. Not putting himself down constantly because he likes to be, you know, put himself down. He was, had a realistic view of who he was. And that's one of the, if we have a, a realistic, a biblical view of who we are, guess what? We're going to be humble too. We should be humble. Because we too think too much of ourselves, way too much of ourselves. But the Apostle Paul knew where he came from. For I am a least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. We can say that as well, can't we? By the grace of God, we are what we are. If we're anything at all, if we can do any good, if we can be a blessing to anyone at any time in this world, it's by the grace of God. So he's giving God all the glory. That's why he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, by God's will. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labor more abundantly than all. Yet not I, here he goes again, but not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. The Apostle Paul was used greatly, but he gives all the glory to God, right? And he, and he attributes it to the God's grace. And so should we. That's important. It's not, we just can't put it out there like, well, that's the apostle, and that's what happened to him. It's true of us as well. Even the being in Christ by the will of God. None of us are apostles, but why are we here today? Why are we saved? Why have we been called out of darkness into his marvelous light? Because it was God's will. And God gets the glory, and it's all of his grace, his grace towards us. It was not in vain. We are what we are by the grace of God, and we can be used as well, just like the apostle Paul. And because of Christ in us and the hope of glory. By the will of God and Timothy. He brings in Timothy here as his fellow laborer. But why? Was Timothy an apostle? No. Timothy was not an apostle. He was a faithful brother and close to Paul. With Paul in many of his journeys and, and in the churches. He was a young pastor. He was a brother as he describes here. And Paul was showing not that he wants to exalt Timothy up to the level of an apostle, but just that he wants to show his humility and that Timothy was, had value because he was a dear brother. Actually, Paul was used to convert Timothy, right? You remember that from 1 Timothy and his words about he, he considered him a son in the faith. So he includes him. He doesn't want all the 
the attention on himself. He says, and Timothy, our brother. He was a brother in Christ. And that shows humility. That shows that's how we should be. You know, we, we're not that special. No matter where, what position we have, we have our brothers and our sisters are, are truly that. And we need to include them. Again, that shows Paul's humility. Humility. This letter is written to a church at Colossae. And it's, that's why it says, goes on to say in verse 2, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ in Colossae. Colossae was a, a city that had a local church. And that local church was, was like our church and like all true local churches, no matter where they are, in Merrick, or in, in wherever, Bayshore or Holtzville or anywhere a local church is. It's like this church in Colossae. He says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. The key there is being in Christ. That's what makes us brethren. That's what makes us saints. Saints is not, are not special uh, upper echelon people in the, in the Christian life. Saints are all Christians, and all of us have been called out and are set apart for God's use, holy use, holy vessels for the Lord. And he does that, again, by his will. He sets apart sinners, like he did the Apostle Paul. Not, maybe not in such a dramatic way as the Apostle Paul, but in a real way, in a true way. And we are saints to God. We're set apart. We're his holy ones, and we have to remind ourselves. But every Christian... Every Christian who's here today, every Christian in the kingdom of God is, is a saint. The weakest of the, the least of, in the kingdom and the greatest. Like the Apostle Paul, all saints, all those who are set apart. And he says in this greeting, he says, faithful brethren. Faithful. How do we become faithful? By God's grace alone. It always goes back. It always goes back to if we have if we are faithful if we have faith if we are faithful if we're doing what God has called us to do it's all of God's grace to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ the key is in Christ they're in Colossae right that's their church we're in Grace Reformed Baptist Church but what's the most important thing how can we be faithful how can we be set apart for God to holy use how can we love each other like brothers and sisters it's because we're in Christ and we can never forget that the blessings every spiritual blessing we have is in Christ Jesus It's such an important doctrine phrase in Christ you read it over and over again in Paul's letters but it's the union our union with Christ all that we do and have comes from that fountainhead, comes from this source, comes from us being united to Christ as his people. God's good work in us is all in Christ. Then he goes on to pray or to, to give this uh, greeting or benediction to them. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Some manuscripts uh, don't add the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not important. Other greetings have that exact wording. But the idea is the important thing. He's desiring more of God's grace. Again, 
He's not saying that they should be getting more money for the church. The church should be, have a better building. You know, the, the, anything like that. He's, he's desiring for them, praying for them, grace. And as a result, peace. Because grace is the fountain of, of peace. We have, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that. It tells us that, that peace we have with God. And that's the beginning. If we have no peace with God, we are not going to have peace in ourselves or be at peace with other people. We need to first and foremost have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We read that in the first scripture reading where Paul writes, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We have peace with God through Christ's work. His work, especially his work on the cross, unites us to him. For he himself is our peace, who has made both the both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that, the, that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man, thus making peace. And he has reconciled them both to God in one body through the cross. Christ, Paul is going to be pointing to Christ. He's going to be pointing to the work, his work on the cross, his sacrificial substitutionary work that makes, reconciles us who are enemies, not just Jew and Gentile, but enemies more importantly to God. How can an enemy be reconciled, especially when it's between us and God? And we were his enemies, no matter what we think of ourselves we, we were God's enemies. The only reason why there's friendship now, where there's reconciliation now, is because of Christ being reconciled through his work. For it pleased the Father, in verses Colossians 1, 19 and 20, pleased the Father that in him, Christ, all the fullness should dwell, and by him, to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace, through the blood of his cross. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, through Christ. And then we can be at peace, right? Having that peace that passes all understanding, being at peace, being a peacemaker. If you're not a peacemaker, it's not a good testimony that you're in Christ because Christ makes us right with God and, and gives us peace and enables us more and more to be peacemakers. We have Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So Paul goes on after this greeting. And it is a greeting, but it's also a, a blessing, a prayer. It's his desire, not for physical blessings, but for spiritual blessings for this church. Beginning in verse 3, he starts speaking about prayer. Paul's greeting them, but he's also telling them that he's going to pray for them. One thing about the Apostle Paul, we will notice, and it's consistently true of all true people of God, is that they're people of prayer. And the Apostle Paul loved the church. He loved the universal church. He loved the local churches that he went to. Christ loves this church. And we're to pray and call down those blessings that we know that uh, for our good, Paul does that here. He says, we give thanks to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. 
It's an important point, one we can't just skip over. It's similar to the words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 1, to the church of the Thessal Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you, see the similar words, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you. Paul was imitating Christ. Christ always was in prayer, even sometimes through the night. The Apostle Paul loved the churches. He loved the believers. He prayed for those believers. What should we do? Should we be praying for one another, for the church, for the universal church, for all churches, for our missionaries? Yes, I think we can assume that. We can get that from this verse. We need to be praying. We need to have that mindset like Paul. He says, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing. That's pretty uh, hard to do, without ceasing. Your work of faith, labor of love, and the patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God our Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election of God. So Paul was a man of prayer, and he, and he had, because he had a heart for the church there. He says, we give thanks to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven of which we you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel so by saying that the Apostle Paul is attributing all those blessings to God whatever we have whatever we do it's all comes from God What is he praying for? He's praying for God to bless them and to multiply, even increase the fruit that's being born in, in their lives. The fruit of peace, the fruit of, that's a result of God's grace. He's thanking the Lord for, the, for them, the people in the church. How many of us give much thought or even put into practice being thankful to God? Just being thankful to God. So studying and reading, one man said that one of the biggest revelations he had and was at the um, encouragement of a brother. He, he heard preach and spoke to afterwards after the sermon. And the brother said, you know, he said, I'm struggling. Uh, I, you know, I'm feeling dull in my Christian walk and I'm struggling. What, what do you recommend? You know, and he probably was expecting like, Ten different things that he should do and start doing and put into practice. But the, the pastor just said to him, here's what I want you to do. When you wake up in the morning, give thanks to God. Praise him. Give thanks to him. Pray to him. When you go to bed at night, give thanks to God. Pray to him. Give him praise and thanks. He said after that, and he started doing that consistently. His life turned around. His ministry, his preaching got stronger. And I think it's probably something, and we read this over and over again in the letters of the Apostle Paul and in the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ, how, how important prayer is, but particularly giving of thanks. He says, we give thanks. And of course, we know in uh, other scripture verses that 
prayer and thanksgiving are, are highlighted. In 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. I don't know what the will of God is. <laughs> How do I know the will of God? Well, it's right here. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. In other words, every circumstance. We can't break our leg. We can't say, thank you, God, I broke my leg. But in a sense, we can. Because we know that in everything, in every good circumstance, bad circumstance, we can thank God. Because he's working. And he deserves our praise and our thanksgiving. And we need to do it. We need to put that into practice as we, we see the Apostle Paul. And be thank God for one another. Can we thank him? for this church? Can we thank him for the evidence we see of love and faith and, and hope in our brothers and sisters? Can we praise him and thank him for that? Can we thank him for our daily bread and our blessings? Surely in so much more than those things we can thank him for and need to thank him daily for that. It's important to be a thankful people. Apostle Paul gave thanks. He, he gave thanks to the Lord and we should as well. What was he praying for? He prays and gives thanks. He says, praying always for you. For you. It, if we pray for one another, if we give thanks for one another, we're going to value one another more. We're going to have a love for one another is going to grow. We heard this morning in, in the Sunday school class about the absolute importance of love. Love for our neighbor. Love for one another love especially for the brethren and how does that love grow it grows by being cultivating it knowing we need to do it the holy spirit sheds the love of god abroad in our hearts we grow in our love for for christ and then grow and it's the distinctive mark of a true christian loving one another but how does that grow it grows through prayer by asking for it and praising god for what when we see it in ourselves and others and giving us, asking him to get, give us more. He says, it's the, f the work of God and, and bearing fruit. He says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. This is the fruit that comes and was being produced in the church at Colossae. And it always takes place. When people are saved, maybe a little bit at first, but it continues, there will be fruit. Jesus said, by their fruits you will know them. There will be fruit in a church. There's no fruit in the lives, no true faith, genuine faith, no genuine true love here in our church and, and no living not just for this life but with a hope for glory knowing that where we're going and what is the most important thing that's not an evidence of life it's the evidence of 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 death and and we did it, paul here makes it clear that this is supposed to be the norm so sometimes we read these churches about these churches and we or people and we say okay well that's yeah i can see that's the ideal that's for them but this is supposed to be normative. In other words, it's supposed to be the normal Christian life. It's supposed to be a fruitful life. And one that's categorized by faith and love and hope. Those things 
encourage one another, especially hope. But it's all by the grace of the God, the grace of God, and through the gospel of the grace of God. My design is not to go too far today, just to cover a few of these ideas, and then to go back and in subsequent weeks going over and maybe getting to, to more details. But some of the things that need to see here is the importance of the fruit of the gospel. When the gospel comes, it bears fruit. And this morning, we need to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith, if we are categorized, if we could fit into this example of what a true church is and what a, a true Christian is, if this is true in our lives, it's important. Have we experienced the power of the gospel? Paul writes, which has come to you, the, he says, and you heard the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. In other words, where the gospel comes and where it comes in power, there's fruit being born. There's true faith, genuine faith, genuine love for the brethren, for God and the brethren, and hope, a, a, a hope that encourages all the graces of God, looking to the future, our future in Christ, but it's, it's true when the gospel comes, it's the word of truth, the means of grace. We need to be much in the word of God, much in prayer, taking advantage of the means of grace, worshiping God, being here together. It's not enough to, to join in on a Zoom meeting. It's important to be physically with the people of God and worshiping God where his special presence is. But it's through the gospel, through the gospel that produces fruit. The gospel of God's grace, it's all of grace. Christ came into this world to save sinners. Are you this morning in Christ? Have you heard the word of truth? And I'm not saying with your ear, probably if you've been here for a while. Even the children have heard the gospel, right children? You heard the gospel? Okay. Getting a thumbs up over there. They heard the gospel. Some of you have sat here for years and years and you hear the gospel. But has the gospel come in power? Is there a change of heart, a change of life? If not, it's not accomplishing what the purpose for which God, it, when the gospel comes with power, the power of the spirit, it changes. It changes sinners into saints. It brings true repentance. And the gospel without Fruit with no repentance. There's no real fruit without true repentance. And repentance is a, a turning back to God. You see, by nature, all of us are going the wrong way. We're all going our own way away from God. When true repentance comes, and it is a gift of God, we turn back towards God, and we look to God. We turn to Him, and we cry out for His mercy and grace, and it's all to be found in, in him. Look towards God, turn towards God, stop. We stop doing what were the things we were doing. You're making a turn, a change, that's true repentance. And we start doing the things that he calls us to do, the things that are consistent with repentance. It's not just being sorry for sin. It's not a head knowledge of salvation. It's being convicted by the Holy Spirit and stopping and turning back and starting to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and then true faith in him, repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they had here. He says, since we heard the faith in Christ Jesus, faith in Christ 
and in Christ alone and laying hold of him by faith. Is everybody here saved? Do you, have you come to Christ? Have you repented of your sins? Have you turned to him? If not, you are without hope. No matter what you may think hope you have for the future, it may be a false hope. It could be false peace. You could be those who will hear on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you, you who work in equity. What a horrible thing to find out on the day of judgment. You had never repented. You had never come to Christ. It's possible in a church. There were those in Colossae who were in that position. Most were saved, but many, some were not. It's true here this morning. Most are saved, but some are not. And only God knows who is saved, who's, who are his people, his, his elect, his brethren. But the evidence is found in true repentance and true faith in Christ, bearing fruit for his glory. It's all and all in Christ. Christ is the all and all. We don't need anything else. We all only need Christ. And Christ enables us to bear fruit. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It glorifies God for us to bear fruit as we abide in Christ. In John 15. Again, let's examine ourselves to see if we can fit into this example here of believers in Colossae and what the Apostle Paul says. Let's follow his example in prayer and in praise and, and uh, let's consider those things as we follow along in the book of Colossians. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful book that you've given us in, in the Bible, the book that the Apostle Paul wrote, a letter to the church. Father, we help, help us to see ourselves as we need to in your word. Let the word of truth, the gospel, come to us and in power to convict, to save, and also to confirm and to spur us on. Father, to help us to examine ourselves and to and to think about the truth and of your gospel and its power and what, what we should expect to be like as a church and as individual Christians. Father, help us to see we're so blind when it comes to ourselves, so dim-sighted, so in darkness. And Father, we, we pray that you would help us to see what we need to see in ourselves and, and to have a heart of prayer like the Apostle Paul a love for the brethren, true faith in Christ alone, and, and, a, and a hope of glory, a true hope that'll, that'll spur us on to love and good works. Father, we know you alone get the glory. You alone. We are what we are by the grace of God. And that grace is not in vain as it's in Christ Jesus. Father, help us, bless us as your people, and we just pray for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.